on today's episode, we're going to talk about fraud, internal fraud, and more specifically, sabotage. So this episode is inspired by the recent events carried out by a pharmacist in Wisconsin whose um, willful acts destroyed 54 vials of the COVID vaccine. Hi, and welcome. I'm Nicole McDar, and this is the Your Security Boss podcast. And in this series, we'll briefly discuss some selected topics from technology, which can make our jobs easier or more difficult, to a particular news item whose fact pattern really provides us with a great opportunity to distill it down to the basic security principles, and then discuss some corporate security best practices which can come from it. So let's get into it. The requisite disclaimer, two points. One, I don't really care about the original fact pattern. I'm not researching it. I'm just using it to get information that we can discuss for best practices as it relates to general corporate security management. And number two, I'm not a clairvoyant. I have no idea how this turns out. I don't know if the best practices that we're going to discuss would have changed the outcome. Okay, the distilled facts are as follows. Number one, it's a private sector company. Number two, we have an employee who willfully and maliciously damages a product. And that's important because number three, the nature of the act is actually criminal. And number four, because it's criminal and because of the type of product that was damaged, it carries a significant um, public reputational impact for the company. The three security principles that I'm going to focus on today are number one, uh, risk assessment. That is, were the measures um, in place correct and appropriate for the risk that had been previously assessed and assuming that we have a risk assessment. Number two is really about the security culture, awareness, the posture, and under this comes all the policies and procedures. So uh, we'll talk about access control procedures for this. And number three, reputation management. And I'm going to discuss each of these security principles kind of along the timeline of the event. So what can we do before? What should we do during? And what can we do after? So before, the first thing that we should probably make sure that we have in place is employee vetting. Um, a number of different ways to review this. So depending on the type of product and the type of company, you're going to need to do some maybe financial assessments. Is there any financial motivation that would lead to somebody to sabotage a product? Um, are there any potential conflicts with political beliefs or religious beliefs. So people who might come into your organization with the intent of sabotaging your product because they're part of an organization that vehemently opposes what services or products that it is that you are providing. Um, are there any criminal or psychological issues in the background that would really lend you to believe that they're prone to this type of behavior? And again, sort of keying in on specific objections, not just sort of the, the destruction of product or of services, but the act of sabotage is very specific and often it comes with some particular motivation. So we want to get a little bit deeper if you have a particular product or a service that could be on a fringe or that could be a, um, 
a particularly interesting um, or something that people talk about a lot. And so you're likely to have some maybe polarized opinions on this. So you want to see if there's any issues in somebody's background that would lead them to not be a good match for your product or service. Um, and then lastly, do they have any prior history? Well, of course, do they have any prior history of sabotage would be too obvious, but do they have any prior history of involvement with an organization that would seek to damage your product or service? Do they have any prior history of having employment relationships which are adversarial um, and which tend to be very uh, politically guided or motivated? So a good employee vetting might help to weed some of this out. The second before action that we might take is a, um, well, policy. So do we have the right types of, of policies in place and do we have a good security culture? But before we can establish a good policy and procedure, we have to do a risk assessment. So if you're dealing with the type of product or a service that is liable for um, sabotage or willful destruction, or which importantly could cause some damage um, to your company if it's sabotaged or interfered with in some sort of way, then you want to take you, you want to take a sort of a holistic risk assessment. So you want to check in: Do I have any research and development that would be damaging to my company if it was leaked? Car manufacturing, you might have some interesting designs that you don't want somebody to to get out, or you don't want somebody to damage and cost millions of dollars. In, um, in research time loss? Do you have any intellectual property or do you have any controlled substances that you work with? So in short, do you have a vulnerable product? Um, next, you might wanna ask yourself, what would happen if my vulnerable product was damaged. So would there be legal repercussions? Would there be repercussions from the authorities? Um, is it just public outcry that we have to worry about? Could it be employee outcry that we worry about? Uh, could it be our constituents? So who's the, where's the damage coming from it, with my vulnerable product? You may also want to check to see if there's any legal requirements for the safeguarding of your particular product um, or service. Once you have a good understanding of what your risk profile is, then you'll want to make sure that you have the right processes and procedures in place, along with the techniques, the tools, the people to safeguard according to the risk that you've decided. So now this is a really important point. There may be a big risk of damage um, and you may choose to only safeguard a minimum amount because the value may be relatively low. So for example, you identify what, there's a huge risk that somebody's gonna come in and create some damage. They're gonna try to steal this or you're, they're gonna try to sabotage this. But if they do, it's really not that big of a deal because it may only cost me a few dollars in recovery um, and it's, you know, it's not that big of a threat. In which case you don't really need to build a moat and put in a troll and, and a dragon to guard the secrets, right? So you want to make sure that you understand your risks and you want to understand the risk profile, but you also want to understand exactly what the damages are. And then once you do that, again, figure out what your vulnerabilities are and then build the right process in order to safeguard them. A couple of interesting, maybe best practices if you've decided that your product is worthy of sabotage and it would cause you a great deal of damage, you might then want to check to see what the right types of procedures are in place. Is this a, I need cameras that are actively monitored type of threat 
or is this uh, four hands on deck at all times? Is there a particular vetting? Is there a particular um, access control or chain of custody that needs to be followed either due to legal requirements or due to the sensitivity of the nature um, of, of the product or service that you're going to be controlling? So once you have this done, then we go back to the policy, which I really term under security culture, and we'll get onto that on a different podcast. But um, in in this case, so you build the right program now based around what you've determined that you need to safeguard, and you've got your procedures in place, and you've got all the right tools, and you've got all the right stuff. And you also need to make sure that it's communicated appropriately, that people understand it, that they're trained on it, and not only that they understand thou shall not cross this door, but that they understand why. And so there's a lot of discussion around um, maybe some, some secrecy. I don't want everybody to know that I'm holding the, the jewels or the king of the, the, the keys to the kingdom behind this door. But you may want to say things like, you know, our security policies are in place in order to safeguard our assets, in order to make sure that we all stay gamefully employed, in order to make sure that we have legal compliance or whatever the case may be. You want to give people a reason other than thou shall not cross um, so that not only they follow it, but that they safeguard around other people, that is your security culture. So if a particular part of your building um, is safeguarding a particular piece of product or a particular piece of, of service, IP, RD, et cetera, um, maybe not your entire facility is locked down this way, but this particular piece is. And so you may have sort of a culture in some cases that are more lax and a culture in some places that are much more strict. And you need to make sure that you're monitoring that and that you're actively encouraging others to do the same thing. So in terms of security culture, you need to talk to people about respecting what the rules are. We're soft where we can be. We're hard where we need to be. Um, you need to be aware. You need to make sure that you're safeguarding our business because we're all in this business together for your safety, for our safety, for the safety of the company, uh, for the, the, the long-term uh, viability of the company, etc. And then you need to act. So then make sure that you train people on what they should do if they see something weird. You know, it's really interesting, but if you do a quick check in your company, I bet you'll find that if there's a whistleblower um, hotline, it doesn't get used very often. Um, so you want to make sure that you establish part of the culture that it's okay to, if you see something that's a little bit weird, if you see a behavior that's off, or if you see somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing around these high security areas, then you really need to report it. And here's a place that you can do this safely. And of course, you may have different structures where you can have an anonymous reporting, or you can have um, direct reporting depending on who the uh, who the actor is and and who the reporter is in some cases they may have a duty to report uh, and in some they could just be walking by and they're not really sure they just kind of have this hunch this guy's not acting exactly right or this woman isn't you know in the space where she normally is and she's out of her work zone um, and so maybe we just need security to check up on this to confirm that everything's okay so you need to create a safe place for this but really vital to this and I, I don't want to uh, under underemphasize this but really vital that you have high security zones only where they need to be so that you can create these sort of special places where you can say look we are indeed really um, you know cautious to make sure that you can have a good workspace a comfortable workspace and that you're as secure as you need to be and in, um, in the various zones that are contained herein so 
you've done everything right at this point the before you've got a good security risk assessment you've understood the risk you've understood the value related to the risk you've got your procedures in place you've put your stuff in place your security processes the overarching policy you've got all the tools the backup systems all that stuff is done but it happens anyway so in the event of a sabotage what are you likely to encounter in the during well the first thing that you're going to have is an immediate um, either risk management or crisis management depending on the depth of the sabotage um, situation so if the sabotage during this fact pattern is that there is a, um, a criminal act and it has a significant public reputational impact then we're probably in crisis management mode so in the criminal component of this add some additional steps that you may not normally have to deal with so the first thing you're going to need to do is contain the area of damage you need to gather facts you need to make sure to isolate um, the product and the area because the police are going to have to be notified and involved immediately and so they're going to want a contamination um, free environment so that they can get as much information as possible and so you're going to really need to safeguard your space and then you're going to need to communicate to a whole bunch of different stakeholders whether it's hr whether it's management at different levels whether it's um, an internal or external pr company and let them deal with the the media and this sort of thing but as the security manager you're going to need to coordinate to ensure that all the right people have all the right amounts of information so that you don't end up with two or three or diff four different versions of the story going to different types of stakeholders unless it's purposefully decided to be that way. So hear that again. You may need to have a couple of different versions. One that the police get and not varying in facts, but varying in the details. Some people are gonna need a lot more details than other people. And you just wanna make sure that the facts within the stories are consistent and that it's well coordinated so you don't have a PR situation after the situation. This is super important. If you go back through the history of how crises have been managed correctly or incorrectly, there's lots and lots of examples of a situation that maybe was pretty bad, but was made a whole lot worse because it just wasn't taken to the public in the correct way. So you want to make sure that you gather the details. You want to be the, the information gather and distributor as appropriate. And you want to be the voice of calm in the situation. So the crisis um, control in, in management here is going to be of primary importance. At some point, you're also going to need to communicate, and at some point, not in the too far distance, you're going to need to communicate not just sort of with all the people who are actively involved with the managing of the situation, but you're going to have to talk to the staff because they're going to have heard about what's happening. They're going to have heard, um, you know, it, who knows what types of, of stories and how this can grow beyond. So you're also going to need to let them know. And it's interesting here because it's not just only communicating facts, although that's important, but you're probably also going to have to take this opportunity to one, ensure that they're safe and they're safe in their, in their workplace, that the rules do matter and that, um, that you're all over it. And you're going to need to do some sort of maybe crisis counseling or crisis management for any of the impacted party. Again, depending on the act and what the depth of the sabotage, you have to be uh, available to, um, sort of stop 
the the train from rolling into a, a space where you end up with people feeling not safe or feeling like, oh gosh, you know, why do we have to manage all these different rules if somebody can just get in and do this? And so you're going to need to use this as an opportunity to sort of reiterate um, that that you are um, in, a, in a contained zone and environment. Um, and then probably eventually work with uh, a retraining. But that leads us nicely into the after. Once the situation is contained and controlled, and not before and not during, but after the situation is now calm and operations are back to normal, you need to figure out what went wrong. Now, what went wrong may just be what went wrong and couldn't have been avoided based on your initial assessment. That is, you know what, this was going to happen and we knew it was going to happen. As in the case that I gave earlier, where lots of risk, somebody's going to come in and they're probably going to do this, but the cost isn't going to be too big. So you need to understand, did this happen and could it have been prevented? Was there something wrong in our initial assessment or have the facts changed and our processes didn't? In other words, maybe our risk review was a year ago and a few conditions changed where maybe the, the product value increased or the sensitivity increased um, or maybe there was some construction and the flow of the doors changed and the cameras aren't focused in exactly the right area or maybe the access control system was bypassed because you know, people were keeping the door open due to ventilation issues or who knows what. But the risk um, assessment that was done and the measures that were put in place originally don't match up to your current need. So you need to check to see, did the risk assessment and procedures fail or did something change? And this isn't a fault finding exercise. It's a prevention, future prevention and uh, anti-fragility building exercise. So was it foreseeable? And if it was, were our measures correct and appropriate for the type of risk? Um, did we do everything right, but it happened anyway? And what can we do to make sure that either this doesn't happen again, if it does happen again, that we can stop it faster, contain it quicker? Or was there a procedure that needs to be put in place that wasn't put in place that we can do so in order to stop this from happening um, in the future? So there's my quick review of the fact pattern for sabotage. I'm happy to hear your comments. I'm sure there's other fact patterns. There's probably other security principles that we could have talked about, but these were the three that I decided to talk about today. But if you want to discuss about some other ones, feel free to shoot me a note and we can talk about those. Meanwhile, stay safe and sane, and we'll talk next time.